church. Uh, let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Lord, in whom all scripture is inspired through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you send your spirit to us now, Lord, and that through the words of a human vessel, your spirit would so inspire that only your word remains and the words of a man, Lord, would fall down to the ground. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts, O Lord, be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I've taken a clip here, uh, and if you look at your bulletin in the middle with the outline, uh, there are uh, spaces where you can fill in the blanks and you can actually uh, trail uh, what this is. Uh, but I've put in our bulletin at the front page that this particular clipping from the first and the twelfth verse. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This passage of scripture is really tightly wound. It, it talks about this issue about entering into our Sabbath rest but it ends with a particular statement about the Word of God and its effect on us. To put it into a little bit of a context, let me begin with this picture of a man walking in the desert. If you read Hebrews, uh, you know, following our reading plan for the whole church, it arrives in Hebrews 1, 2, 3, eventually going into 4, talking about the children of Israel who were traveling through the wilderness so you imagine a trail of people leaving Egypt and they've gone through the wilderness and they've arrived at this place called Kadesh Barnea. They just left uh, Egypt not that long after. They've gone through several battles and God had been with them and they'd seen this pillar of fire by night and a cloud that kept them cool by day. And they arrive at Kadesh Barnea and they see the promised land across that river Jordan. But what happens at that point in time is they appoint spies, and the spies go there, and you see the giants and say, Giants! We can't overtake them. Except for two guys, uh, Caleb and Joshua, who effectively said, you know, God is for us. Why are you afraid? But the rest of the people panic, and as a, result, as a result of that, God is uh, displeased with their disobedience and he swore that none of them would enter into that rest. And that entire generation of 20 years upwards, uh, in a way, wilted in the desert for 40 years. Now that's a, a story of, uh, of the scriptures in the past. But the writer of Hebrews brings it into the present, talking to his group of people who are encountering difficulties in life. They embroil issues of, if God is for us, why is life so hard? If God is with us, how come we're not getting uh, the benefits and the blessings that we would expect since God is with us? And some of you may be in a very similar situation. You know, you're very stressed out at work 
you say, God is with me, but why am I not getting my promotions, my bonuses? Why is it so difficult? Why am I being persecuted uh, for being a Christian? Now, before I came into pastoral ministry, I was uh, working in the consulting line, and uh, someone asked me, uh, my, my children are thinking of going into the IT line, because I was an IT consultant at that point, and he says, what is your advice? And I said, do they read? And uh, I said, not really. <laughs> they, they like to watch a lot of stuff. They like to play a lot of computer games. So I thought technology would be good for them. I said, well, you know, technology line, uh, the, the technology changes every six months to 18 months. So every time when you go into it, you have to change and you have to keep reading up. You have to read a lot of stuff. And so the parents said, well, okay, maybe my kids will not be able to do this. Now, I illustrate a situation that many of us in the working place encounter that in order to maintain our position where we are, it's already working like crazy. And so to expect to get a promotion is even harder. Now, you might think that this is a new idea, except that this writer, uh, Lewis Carroll, wrote here. Lewis Carroll in Alice in Wonderland wrote this particular snippet where the Red Queen talks to Alice and says to Alice, now here, you see, it takes all the running you can do to keep in the same place. If you want to get somewhere else, you must run at least twice as fast as that. I think uh, those in the marketplace understand what that means. If you're trying to maintain your position in your role and to get promoted, or even recently when I had a discussion with a, a friend in our church, he was saying, I have to go for a technology upgrade just to ensure that I have a job in a few years' time or at least within the next one year. So the amount of pressure that's on us, in a way, is this journey that leaves us struggling. We're tired, we are being stretched, and it's not easy. And then everyone's telling us, work harder, work harder, get your promotion, be the boss. Working twice as fast is burning you on both sides, you're burning the candle on both ends. And so I hope this message from Hebrews will in a way speak to us about what exactly is this challenge that we're trying to look at. Let's go to the text. The text says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those obeyed. Now, again, the allusion and the context of this is he said, the people who were at Kadesh Barnea, when they were told to enter into the promised land, they were disobedient. They heard what was told to them, but they did not share their faith in moving in. In other words, they were afraid uh, to do what was told to them. Now, how many of us, uh, in a way, enter in that place where we enter into an environment and we are fearful of taking the next step? that takes courage, even though God has kind of told you this is the way you ought to do. Example, uh, when you need to basically be a person of integrity and rather than offer a bribe, say no. 
but we're afraid that if we don't do this, our bosses may look down on you and say, you're not willing to do what I tell you to do. I'm going to sack you. I'm going to push you aside. When we're needed to commit to what we are called to do by God, we instead do the work that we want to do because of our fear. Now, the writer also says that this promise is still standing. In other words, the promise to enter this rest is still available. In other words, although they failed, okay, this promise is still available to us through Jesus Christ. This is the point of his message. But let me uh, go and touch on that a little bit more in a short while. So my first point, which is in the sermon outline, is that we are earthly wanderers who are promised rest today. That's what it says in that first verse. That today is present tense, whenever it is, whether it's past, present, or future. At the moment when you hear it, it is that promised rest today. So the Israelite community, they physically heard, but their hearing was faithless. Uh, we would say that this faithless is a, a, a sense where it is not an active faith. True faith or true spiritual hearing involves active faith as a component. Now, how many of you have had this before? You know, you, you shout out in the house and say, Son, go and throw the rubbish. And then the son replies, Yeah, Dad. And then later on, when you're locking up the house, you see the rubbish is still there. Now, that's physical hearing, but not active faith. Right? He didn't obey and actively respond to what he was supposed to do. And what you can imagine happens after that is when I see the rubbish, or when you see the rubbish, you're going to react because there's disobedience to a command that was given and it's a common courtesy that when you ask, so then is there rest after that? No. There is unrest because there is judgment, there is a penalty. But if he had done that extra effort to do that, there is actual rest, not in, the ex, not in the sense that he stops working and he doesn't have to do it like somebody else does it for him, but there's actual rest in the sense that the stench, the bacteria, the germs are dealt with and the house is at peace from germs. The better condition arrives when there's extra effort put in to do what is necessary and commanded. I'm going ahead, but uh, we come to the next few verses. The next few verses, verse 3 to verse 5 says, Now we who have believed uh, enter that rest. So believers enter that rest. That rest is entered through, through belief, but a particular kind of belief. Just as God has said, So I declared on my oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the day. In other words, God has already uh, prepared this work, of, uh, this work that would bring about rest even before the beginning of time. I.e., even uh, before time began, Jesus was already in the mind of God that he would send Jesus, the fullness of deity, in a human being in order to save us and give us that rest. They shall never enter the rest, yet his works have been finished in the creation of the world for somewhere... He has spoken about the seventh day in these days. Now, somewhere is actually Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. 
on the seventh day, uh, God rested from all His works. And again in the passage above, He says, they shall never enter my rest. Now, just yesterday when we were having this uh, membership class, I asked this question, why do you think God created the entire world? What is the purpose of man defined in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2? Is it that the purpose of God was to show how wonderful and great He was in creating the world? Yeah, maybe. That is one of it. Is it that man is the pinnacle of God's creation? Yes, in a way He is. But the actual climax, poetically and from a literature point of view of Genesis 1, is the fact that at the end of Genesis 1, and you can go back and read this uh, later on tonight, at the end of Genesis 1, God sees everything He has created, all of mankind and all of creation, and He said it was very good. And then in 2, chapter 2, verse 1, and God saw that He had finished His work, and He rested on that day, and He blessed that day, and He called it holy, because on the seventh day, He rested. Now, here's the, here's the thing that most people tend to miss. Genesis 1 describes every passing day with the evening and the morning, day 1. Evening, morning, day 2. And every day, it was good. On day 6, right, as he ends, the evening and the morning, it was very good. Day 7 begins, and there is no end to day 7. There is no evening and morning, the day 7 ended. Which therefore means that the ultimate plan of creation was that God created everything and that He would be with His people and His people would be with Him. This is a theme you see being repeated in the Bible all the time. I will be their God, they will be my people, and I will be with them. The ultimate plan of creation was that we would enjoy this Sabbath rest for the rest of eternity with God. But is God still working? Yes. Various parts in Scripture says that God continues to hold the earth in the palm of His hands and He continues to cause things to happen according to His plan. So that rest is not actually the cessation of absolute work. No. That rest is entering into the kingdom where God is king and where we are with Him, and whatever work happens, happens as an aspect of joy and response to what God is doing. So here's the thing again, we enter that rest when we believe. We enter that rest when we believe in Jesus. Entering that rest being the kingdom of God. Now how, does, how do we understand this uh, moving from this point? How do we contrast earthly rest versus spiritual rest? Earthly rest is often seen as ceasing activity. I know most of you understand this. You go on a holiday and you come back and say, how was the holiday? Wonderful, but I need another holiday to recover from that holiday. And some of us, when they go on holiday, they're like, the itinerary is packed. You know, it's like today I'm going to the museum, tomorrow I'm going to the botanical gardens, after that I'm going to Chao Kui Tiao, you know, one, one after the other. That's a holiday. That's your rest. But when you go back, you are physically exhausted and you come back sick, maybe. Earthly rest is often seen as a seizing in, in activity, but 
is the author of Hebrews talking about earthly rest? And the answer essentially is uh, no. He's talking about spiritual rest. And that spiritual rest is defined by the writer's reference to the God's seventh day. In other words, the writer of Hebrews calls that rest seventh day. The same word that is used in uh, Psalm 95 and Genesis chapter 2 is referred to, rest. What does that rest look like? And also, the question that comes after this, which I will answer in a due time, is when do we enter that rest? Okay. Now, some of us say, uh, you know, wow, you're, so, you're working so hard. And all that. So when are you going to rest? And say, I will rest the day I am six feet underground. There are some people, workaholics like that. I, I wonder whether our prime minister is also one of those people. You know, you continue working 90-something plus years old, still going at it strong. When do we enter that rest? Do we enter that rest now? Or do we enter that rest when we die? Or is there some other rest that is referred to? And the text actually gives all three. It says it's accepted today through hearing with faithful obedience. In other words, when we believe, we accept this uh, invitation to rest, but it comes through faithful obedience. Faithful obedience meaning I apply what God has said, and I live in accordance to what God is asking me to do. It is uh, perfected at death when we rest from our labors. You see, when we, when we die, right, you can't do anything anymore. Okay? Whatever good you've done, whatever bad you've done, whatever it is, your life is completed the moment you breathe your last breath, and that's why you say, rest in peace. But Hebrews 12.23 says that at the moment of death, we are made righteous, we are made perfect at death because through that, our labors are ended and Jesus somehow completes the rest. Okay. We do our best, Jesus completes at rest and through his action on the cross, for our sakes, completes it. And finally, it's consummated. In other, in other words, fully realized. Uh, last week, uh, Brother Chong Jin mentioned, you know, the Gospels and the Epistles always talk about this, uh, there but not yet. We're in the kingdom, but not fully yet. Not fully eschatologically uh, realized yet. That's a big uh, term. But in other words, you're on the journey, you've started the journey, Right? You're being perfected along the journey when you arrive at the, at the point of obedience, but your full enjoyment of the journey is when you arrive at the destination, and the destination is the city to come. In Hebrews 13 verse 4, which points towards revelation really about the city to come. So we enter that rest, and I'm talking here about the three stages of rest. We enter into rest now, at this point in time, spiritual rest, when we accept this through belief, and we begin to reorder and realign our life according to what God is calling us to do. So I'm beginning to give you an idea about the tension that works between the rest that God gives 
and the rest that we can tend to pursue. What we want, the work that we do, versus the work that God calls us to do. They sometimes are in opposition to each other. Now, let me continue the text. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, in other words, uh, the writer of Hebrews is talking to a group of people that some of them may not have entered into that rest. Now, consider this. The children of Israel, they saw uh, the power of God every day. Mana, quail, uh, you know, big pillar of fire, cloud. And yet, and yet, when they were told, go into the land, they said, no, no way, giants. Afraid. They were on the journey, they were together, they were doing the same things. And every morning when God moved, they moved. You have this situation too in our church. We're all here. We see God's providence, we see God's goodness, we see the faithfulness of those who have lived before us. And we come to a point where God calls us to do this next thing, a generally difficult thing. And at that point in time, in spite of all the things that we have believed, we kind of like say, no, I I don't want to go down that path. And some of you, unfortunately, have seen it happening in your children or your children's children. They've journeyed together in the vessel called the church. They've been baptized, they've been confirmed, they've sat here, they've sung in your worship teams, they've been your Sunday school leaders or your youth leaders. But they arrive at a point in life when the challenge comes to now enter into the land and the giants are big. And that's where they say, "Mm, uh, let me find my rest in a different way. I'd rather not go down that path. So since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, I ask myself, you know, what does disobedience look like? Normally two, two ways of disobedience. They don't do what they're supposed to do or they do what they're not supposed to do. But you must ask the question, who's the one who's giving the instruction? And the answer for Hebrews is God. God tells them to do something and they don't do it or to not do this and they do it. And because of that, they do not enter that rest. That is the warning that Hebrews is giving to these people. The writer of Hebrews, God again set a certain day, verse 7, calling it today. This he did a long time ago, uh, a long time later, he spoke through David. So now, here's, here's where you need to understand how Hebrews is writing and how you interpret this. Huh? He says, in Genesis chapter 2, God offered this rest. Right? And then, when the people of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, they were supposed to enter into Canaan, the promised land. And God would give them rest from their oppression and from their persecution of Egypt. And they failed. Then in Psalms 95, David wrote this. He said, Today, if you hear the Lord's voice, do not harden your hearts, but obey. David is after, after Exodus. He had already arrived into the kingdom and he, was, he had already established the, the dynasty or the clan, 
the line of David had been established. And so he's saying, if you hear the voice of God, do not harden your hearts, which means to say this ability to enter is still available today for those who believe. And he says, uh, verse 8, if Joshua had given them rest, because Joshua is the one who brought them into the promised land, would God would not have spoken later about another day through David, the Psalm 95. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works. Now, I've underlined that and I put that in bold because that's the definition of the Sabbath rest. Anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works. You're resting from your pursuits, your struggles, what you want, and you're doing what God wants. Just as God did from His, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. Uh, this is a bit of an oxymoron contrasting thing. You know? Make every effort to enter into rest. Because for us, rest means don't do anything. But here the passage is make every effort, do everything that you can to enter into that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of uh, disobedience. Anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works. Now, there is this promise of rest that still stands for all of us of that time. What does that mean? Uh, this is taken from Leviticus, uh, verse, chapter 23 and verse 16. Because when we talk about Sabbath rest, we must go back to Leviticus to understand what Sabbath rest means. And this is what the Levites uh, understood about Sabbath rest. The Sabbath rest, it is a Sabbath of rest for you, and you must deny yourselves. Now, there are some amongst us, right, those really hardworking people, who cannot stop working. They continue working on at, until 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, or they go and sleep, they wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and then they, ah, they're out at it again. And then on Sunday, right, they come for service, they do their bit, and then after that, they shoot off and they say, I still got my proposal to complete. <laughs> their slides and all that stuff. And this, this, is, in, this text, in a way, is for them. It's a day of rest where you must deny yourself. The denying of yourself is basically say, I must deny my, my internal will to believe that I'm in control and that by working two times harder than what I'm doing now or five times harder than what I'm doing now will get me to where I want to. Because the ultimate test of Sabbath day is to let go and let God. The ultimate test of Sabbath day is to say that I've done what I have for the six days. I need to take a day off and honor God. Honor God to do the things that are of God, which therefore means, you know, I don't honor God by basically taking out my martini and my brandy, going out to gunting and gambling. 
and having a party and just enjoying myself and doing absolutely nothing. No, it's not that. Again, rest is ceasing from your work and entering into the kingdom where it is God's work. So what has he called you to do? Do that. And I don't think God calls you to basically burn yourself up and destroy your whole life and your family. I, I had a consultant friend who was a, a, a trainer for CEOs. He's a CEO mentor. And he said the number one disease that all our CEOs have is their inability to observe a Sabbath day. They are where they are because they are really hardworking people and they're very conscientious. But the number one thing that kills them is a heart attack because they are unable to take a break. The ability to deny yourselves and find that rest. And he says, make every effort to enter that rest. Spodazo is that word. Now, if you want to tell your children an interesting word, spodazo. <laughs> it means work hard, give yourself entirely to it. It's not, it's not a try lah. No. Make every effort to enter into that rest because it is an entire effort of exercise to tell your mind, do not fret and worry about this. Leave it into God's hands. Are you able to enter into that spiritual because in order for you to do that you have to be trusting that God really is in control and that he will leave it to work and I need to rest there was this illustration that was given once to me that uh, this man would come to a grocery shop and this grocery shop had the best of groceries every day he would go in and he would buy it but if you don't get there on time, it runs out. And the grocer basically says, come again tomorrow. <laughs> and so this guy got upset. Why aren't you working harder? Why don't you, you know, you, why don't you get more stuff? Why don't you buy more groceries and, and sell more? Then you have more money and you can do more stuff. And he says, well, the garden can only produce this much and I can only work so much. And this is all that I have. Come again tomorrow. I encountered that in Penang too. You know, you go to a favorite Chakwe Tiao stall. <laughs> if you don't get there by a certain time, <laughs> habis. <laughs> Close shop already. <laughs> Come back tomorrow. That, that, in a way, is this principle of Sabbath at work. There is a rhythm to life. There is a pattern to life. But if your rhythm is one that continuously keeps pushing it in order to do your work, the work you want done, then you have to ask yourself, are you really entering into that promised rest? So spiritual rest is entered not by cessation of work. Now, I have to qualify this. Huh? It doesn't mean that you do absolutely nothing. It means the cessation of your work, your own work for your own desires, for your own insecurity. But by its application, in other words, to actually apply, I'm entering into the rest and I'm going to stop. I'm going to do what God calls me to do rather than what I'm doing. 
I have had friends asking me, um, how are you coping? You know, you go off into all these long distance trips, you do all these other things and all stuff. And yeah, it is tiring work. I do get a break, but one of the things that I guess is a bit of a mystery to me is the work itself is very fulfilling. And though I'm tired, it energizes me when I'm doing God's work. So that's the mystery that you enter into. Uh, the only way I can explain it is that when you are filled with the joy of what you're doing for God, you are rested. And it, it, it happens in that mysterious way. Then comes this particular point. The power of God's word we find here. The word of God that we should fear and revere. Now, it's given in this particular verse. The word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our inmost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes, and He is the one to whom we are accountable. Now in all of this, Hebrews finally brings us back to this point. Your scriptures are the ones that ought to give you this fear and reverence. That you are at the point of a journey where if you have worked so hard to get to this point, and just at the point when you're about to enter into your eternal rest, you give up. You break down and you say, I'm, you know, I, I, do, I don't want to do this anymore. It's too big. The giants are too big. The word of God is to remind you and it cuts into your soul. Now, how many of us are actively having a fear and a reverence and respect for the word? That we actually believe what the word is saying. That we don't fall into disobedience. But also that we believe in the promise enough to overcome our fears and to enter with courage into this promised rest that God gives. That's one of our challenges. Now I want to end with this uh, application points here. Are you spiritually stranded? Have you reached a point in your life where you are so busy with your own work that you feel spiritually dry? That's what people like to say. Lah. I feel very spiritually dry. I feel very far away from God. I seem to be doing things over and over and over, but I don't seem to be connected with God. If you are, then you need to be aware of this particular condition that you are in the wilderness and that you need to enter into this spiritual rest that God gives. And the spiritual rest doesn't come from this perceived working harder so that I arrive in this particular destination that I want to be in, so that when I am there, I think that life will be better. You know what it sounds like. Huh? Work hard, maybe when I hit 20 or 30, I become manager, after manager, I become director. After director, I become GM. Uh, sorry, not, I don't know what else there is. Regional director. And eventually become global director. It's, it's this perceived holy uh, destination that you have that once you arrive there, and it's a destination of your own conception, that when I arrive there, then I can rest. 
but you are spiritually stranded in that journey. You're dry, you feel very far away from God, and, and somehow something's wrong. That's a time when you need to go back to the scriptures. Secondly, do you, in your sense of being, spiritually belong to God, and in particular, Jesus Christ? Do you spiritually belong to Him? Or are you saying, you know, well, you know, I, I belong to Him in the moment I want something like the next promotion or the next job or food to fill my stomach? Or do I belong to Him in that real sense? A conviction in your heart that I am His, He is mine, I will spend time in my scriptures to be with Him. Thirdly, are you cultivating a reverence for and a respect for His Word? Because I tell you, when you read the Word and you are thirsty for spiritual food, it is like water in a desert. And it's not just reading it to say, okay, done, take. I've done my devotion for today. I feel the world is at peace. Now I can go on to do my work. Because that's what a lot of people do quickly do five minutes so that I say I've done my spiritual quiet time, then off, off to go because the traffic jam is building up already. Off we go. It's a tick. It's not really building a, 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 or cultivating a reverence for and a respect for His Word. Where are you on this? I give thanks that many amongst our people have actually been reading the Scriptures uh, going through with us in this uh, year, yearly New Testament readings that we have. And I encourage you to go further for it. But do the next thing. Active, faithful obedience. So that when you are called to do it, and when you're called to, you've arrived at the edge point, and you're called to enter into this land, that you have the courage to face your giants in order to enter your rest. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we pray for some of us who have begun to stray from you. We pray for many of us, Lord, who are spiritually far away from you, Lord. We pray especially for our young ones, those who are in the marketplace or at work who are burning themselves out on both ends. We pray that they will be able to find spiritual peace, Lord, they, that they would know their spiritual condition, and that they would again enter into that rest of belonging to our Lord Jesus. For you have invited, Lord, all who are weary and heavy laden to take up your yoke and to find rest in you. So we pray, Lord, that you help us to renew our pledge of rest in you, our belief in you, and in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, we ask that you bind us together, that we would not be disobedient, but we would learn to revere you, your promises in your word, Lord, and we would fear you. This we ask, O Lord, and pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.